Welcome to the Million Pound Biller Podcast, where we interview people from inside and outside recruitment to give you ideas to help you on your way to a million pound year. Now, over to Adrian Mansfield, the Million Pound Biller. Welcome to the Million Pound Biller Podcast. Our goal is to offer insights from luminaries or inside and outside the world of recruitment that can help you on your way to a million pound year. Today, we have an interview with such a luminary, Mike Ames, founder of the Flair Business Growth Consultancy and someone who predates me and dwarfs me in terms of experience in recruitment. Today, we talk recruitment, building a business and building relationships, and of course, how to deal with the recession that we're going through and coming out the back of it. So Mike, you and I have known each other for a few years now. Is it right to say you've built and sold two multi-million pound IT service recruitment companies from scratch? Yes, and, and thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for bringing me in. I have, really. The first one was in the 90s. We went from zero to 40 million quid turnover in a decade. And I sold that one to a company called Modis for 24 million quid, I think. And then the second one started in 2001 called Crimson. That was sold to Harvey Nash in 2017 for about 15 million quid headline price. So, I mean, it wasn't me that did it. Obviously, there were people that did it, right? <laughs> I didn't yeah. do it, but my job was to kind of make it easy for other people to do the great work. I mean, that's effectively it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what are you doing with yourself now? Obviously, playing a lot of golf. Well, if it wasn't <laughs> lockdown, I'd be playing a lot of golf. Yeah, that, that's so absolutely what, true. So what um, is it you're doing nowadays to keep you, keep you busy? I run a small growth consultancy, really, called Flair. And what we do is help people to make their recruitment business scalable predominantly micro and SME recruitment firms. And normally, the reason I get engaged is because I'll just make this as simple as I can. It's not making enough money. I mean, that's a simply, it's not growing enough, not making enough money. And because of that, there's a whole raft of problems then. People working too hard and a lot of stress, no any of that ideal of being able to sell their business and retire, all that stuff, a million miles away. So what I do is then just help people to, to reorganize the business, to make it scalable, and then the money will come. Well, Mike, welcome to the Million Pound Biller podcast. And thanks for your time today. It's going to be hopefully a very useful session for both myself and also our, our listeners out there. So you talk about your work with the Flair Business Growth Consultancy and the fact that you're working with people who are in their small and micro business and you're helping them to work on their, their personal goal. And you've got an impressive CV, but for somebody that is in that kind of market and in that space, what if you aren't clear on your personal goals? What if you're not sure about where you want to get to in, in terms of the, the business? That's a very good question, actually. I think that it's really, really important to understand what it is that you're trying to achieve with your business. I'll tell you, right, here's the thing. As a business owner, that business is, just, is going to do five things for you. Whether it's a recruitment company or a window cleaning business, it doesn't make any difference. It's the same five things. You've got to earn enough money to give you the lifestyle that you want. You've got to have a good work-life balance. So you've got some time to spend your money, you know, and your family think that you're part of them and not someone that just sleeps at the house. You've got to make enough money as well to draw out, to make yourself financially independent, to invest somewhere, to increase your, your net worth. You've also got to create a business which you can be proud of, you know, which effectively is going to give you some pride when you look back onto it. And that, that, that legacy thing is some, more important to some people than others. But that's essentially, and do you know what? I'd add another one. You've got to have a good work-life balance, yeah. But also, you've got to have a good work balance. In other words, job satisfaction is going to be high. You're not doing things because you have to. You're doing things because you want them at work. Yeah, yeah. I think you and I have had this conversation before, and I, I, I absolutely agree with all those points. I think the one thing that you mentioned to me when, we first, when I first started out, what, 10, 12 years ago now on my own path to my own company, was that question about what you're trying to do with your business, what you're trying to mm. do 
what you're trying to get out of the business, whether you're going for a lifestyle business, something that you can, you know, use and run and build to build your lifestyle and then run your lifestyle around the business, or whether you're building something of scale that in essence is going to become like an enterprise, mm. something that's going to derive business for, like you've done with your two businesses and selling them, which is obviously a route that a lot of people tend to think about as an option for recruitment. But I think you've also believed that the lifestyle business option can be equally profitable for, for a lot of people out there. Well, it's safer mm. for a start. Did you know that only 0.2% of recruitment companies ever get sold for anything amounting to a reasonable amount of money? Yeah. I mean, you can always sell anything, can't you, really? But yeah. if you're going to sell it and retire or, or top up your pension fund or whatever, 0.2%. So statistically, to grow a business for sale is not a good thing. It's not a good bet, really. You know, if you want to play with the house's money rather than yours, my advice to you is to grow a cash cow business so that it generates enough money to do all the things you want to do in the business, give you the lifestyle that you want in terms of salary, great, bonuses, whatever. But there's enough left over to suck it out of the business and stick it somewhere that's a separate investment. So, you know, property, stocks and shares, whatever floats your boat, really. Mm -hmm. Because then, do you know what? Every year, you become closer to being financially independent. Because, of course, I'm not an IFA, just in case everyone yeah. thinks I am. <laughs> but I'm very interested in, in, obviously, security and things. But if you in, invest that money, you've got compound interest on your side. So each, each year, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And even if something hideous happens, like we've just been through, and some people have lost their businesses during that period then you've still squirreled away a big chunk of cash and you're well on the way to that financial independence. So my advice, unless you've got a very specific type of recruitment company, contract, long-term relationships with clients and a reasonably high pound notes monthly GP, basically. It's professional, it's not like temps or anything. Then it's very difficult to grow a saleable business. It just is. So grow something and make the money. And actually, do you know what? It's actually more fun doing it that way. <laughs> it just is. You make more money and have, have more fun if you don't try and build a business which is saleable at the end. And I, yeah, I, I agree that absolutely 100%. I think I found that when I had my own company that the effort and energy it takes to scale a business to the size where it's saleable is actually massively detrimental to your lifestyle balance. If you're trying to build a business that can, you, you end up working 24 hours a day almost to try and get yeah. it to that point. And it's and you, I, I was amazed. I, I hadn't heard that stat before about 0.2%. But I think if you ask many recruitment companies who've sat out there and people who've gone out on their own, their ultimate goal is to sell. And if they knew that that was the percentage of, of rate of actual selling for a decent amount of money, they yeah. might have a different yeah. view on their uh, model of it, if you like. Because we all go into business without really digging too deeply into it. You know, who, who knew that? It was a piece of research done by Rycroft Lenton, came up with that number. But who knew that? Even if it's 10% wrong, 100% wrong, it doesn't make any difference. It's a very low percentage. <laughs> it's, still not, it's still not over a percentage point, no, is it? it's not. <laughs> it's it's not. 100% wrong. And I'll tell you some more stats, right? There are, th these are figures from last year. So they may or may not be the same now, but there are approximately 40 million, sorry, 40 million, I wish, um, 40,000 recruitment companies in this country. Half of them are basically one-man bands one or two people, you know, in a small yeah. business. The other half, it, you know, it's, it's 48 billion in total. So 24 billion is on one-man bands there or thereabouts. Yeah. And then the others, I think the top 100 take, you know, a good percentage of that then as, as their kind of share of the business. Yeah. And what's left is those medium-sized businesses. Well, it's the medium-sized businesses that get sold and there just aren't that many of them, really. Yeah, they get squeezed and they, and they get and the ones that get squeezed the most in the recessions and stuff like that. So moving on from that, actually, I mean, that, that brings us around to this, this period we're in now, at the beginning of 2021. And, and you and I are both long enough and old enough in the tooth to have been through a few of these now. But 
What are your views of 2021 now coming out of the end of what has been a horrible year for 2022? I won't use the Queen's words, but pretty much a horrible year for everybody. So what are your views now based on experience? And obviously nobody could predict the future with any certainty, but what are your views based on your experience of, of having been through these things before? I think as an, as it Anis Horribilis? Anis Horribilis, yeah. That one's going to take some beating, isn't it, really, for a lot of people, I think. Right, so if you look at the data, if you look at the data on this, the ONS have said, right, that in terms of vacancies, so, you know, this time last year, I think there was probably over 800,000 vacancies on the go live in this country. We dipped to our lowest at about 350,000 at the absolute lowest level. And now I think there's probably just about 600, 650. So it's kind of recovered a little bit, but it's still 25% down. It's a big drop, really. and and it gets worse, really, because there are about 400,000, four, sorry, 4 million people on furlough at the moment. Okay, there were 9 million, it's down to 4 million. But of those, you know, 4, 5 million that have kind of not on furlough anymore, 400,000 of them are now unemployed. So what if you just roll those figures together, do you know what you get is that when furlough ends, a lot of people are going to be unemployed because the businesses can't take them back on now. The Rishi Sunaka said he's going to extend it from the end of April and he won't he won't stop it until basically we're out of lockdown, essentially. Right. But what I'm saying is that the data would suggest there are some difficult times to come. So my advice really is, you know, in terms of looking at the future, is as I always say this to everyone, really, is plan for the worst, hope for the best, and and take whatever you get. Um, what what do you think, Adrian? Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I, I look back on my own history and career, and I've talked about this before on the podcast. You know, I had my own company in 2008. We which was the last big recession, if you like, global recession of this kind of ilk with the, with the financial meltdown of 08. And actually, we got through 08 and thought, wow, you know, big whop of the, wipe of the brow, thought we've got, the, we've got this now, we've come out the other side of it, the, the damage of the recession hasn't hit us, and we've got through the other side of it. And we got hit early to mid-2009 by the fact that our clients that had then sort of got hit and everything sort of pushed on down the chain because we were bottom of the chain. The wave, if you like, the tsunami didn't hit us until a lot later down the process. And I think, I suspect the next six to possibly nine months are going to be very bumpy. I think the markets are going to be difficult to find. I'm already speaking to people in the market and finding that, you know, candidates, the good candidates are still trying to hold on tight to the company. So the people that are good are not looking to move. Yeah. And they're being held on to. And some who are in furlough have actually got quite used to the fact that they don't have to work too much at the moment, honestly. So I think the next six to nine months are going to be bumpy. But like every recession I've ever been through, and I've been through two, one on the flip side of 2000 when I first started in recruitment and then the 0809 one, there's been a few mini ones in the middle of there. But those are the two big ones. There's always been a wave. There's always been a growth surge after the back of the Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I've worked through this is the fifth downturn, if you count the downturn in the IT industry, which I was in in 2000, which wasn't a technical recession. But this is the fifth downturn. Absolutely. 100%. As soon as confidence starts to lift up, and as soon as you know things like unemployment bottoms out and company fold-ups stop. And you just think, actually, this we're, we're on the way out. There's that acceleration. People seem to want to get out of the gate and everything goes mad. you know. And that has always happened. Yeah. I look at that, our strongest growth period in the mid-90s. My company was the 27th fastest growing private company in the United Kingdom. And that came on the back of the recession in the early 90s, late, yeah. late 80s, early 90s. And so and but I mean, we were lucky because we were ready for it. But but I think, and, and that is an important thing, but it's going to come. I guarantee it. All we have to do in our industry is get through these difficult months, whether it's three, six or nine months, whatever it is, we have to get through it and be ready. And then the good times will roll. Definitely. Yeah. I liken it to surfing a wave. I was talking to somebody, in fact, I was talking to one of our 
contact us the other day about it. I think, you know, it's like surfing a wave to me, a big wave. One of these guys that do it off, off the beach in Hawaii, you know, the ones that are really, not the ones that I, I've surfed in Nuki where it's like two and a half inches tight, but the ones that have got a 30, 40 feet high. It's timing it properly. If you time it properly, you get the ride of your life. Those guys are, that they're always searching for that perfect wave ride. If you miss it, if you're in front of it, you're going to get absolutely pounded. Yeah. And if you're behind it, you're missing the ride. Everybody else has gone off into the future and you're being left behind by the fact that you're just sat out there on your own, bobbing around in the ocean, thinking what's, ever, what's happened to everybody else. So I think the timing of when you're looking at the wave, and it's about reading the markets a little bit, and that just comes with a bit, of, a bit of knowledge of your sector. But if you can ride it right, right then the potentials are huge. Can I steal that metaphor? You can, I, I, really, I really like that because I do a bit of surfing. You know, we've got a little bolt hole in the, on the coast and, and you're absolutely right. If you go before the wave's ready, you'll miss it. If the wave has gone, well, you've obviously missed it. You've got to just catch it just right, actually. It's actually bang on, Adrian, yeah. So, okay, so we talked a bit about the, the bad sides and the opportunity or the potential opportunities down the future. So based on your experience and your background and, and the people, and frankly, the people you're now working with, because you're working with a lot of SMEs, people that are potentially looking to ride that wave, what are you talking to your, your clients about and people in the market about things to set up, things that they can be doing today to get ready for that upturn? Okay. I mean, I think the first thing is activity and execution. I'm all in favor of planning. I, I love it. And mapping out where you want things to go. But, but some people just seem to want to do that all the time and then replan and think about things. And you've got to execute. And that, there's a, I'm not an advocate of cold calling, okay? I mean, it works in certain circumstances, I get that, but I'm not a huge fan myself. But it just proves cold calling will work for you. You've got to kiss a lot of frogs to get a prince. But that just proves that even in that dreadful environment of having to do that, you will pick work up because execution and activity deliver wealth. Now, just imagine you were putting that effort into something a bit more worthwhile than being told to clear off in all sorts of creative and imaginative ways. And I think you can see what you're going to get with that. So, I mean, in terms of, of answering the question, execution, I think, is very important. I also think as well, it's very important to understand the kind of clients that you want, ideal clients, to be very, very clear on who they are so that when you go to the market or the or clients come to you or prospects come to you, you know whether it's a green light or a red light. Because in the bad times, you kind of take on any work you can, which is absolutely fine. You know. Why not? Pays the bills. But in a rising market, you've got to stick to your knitting. It's not, could I do that piece of work? It's, should I do that piece of work? And the answer to that question really comes from your ideal client profile and your ICP. Gives you that focus, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I fully agree with that. And I think, yeah, there's a a lot of the IT companies in Silicon Valley talk about this idea of an 80% idea going quickly is far better than a 100% right early idea. Well, you're never going to get a 100% early idea done late. So, you know, you, yeah. it's almost a case of going and doing stuff. As you say, spend the time wisely, work on the ideal companies you're looking to get into, the clients you wanted to work with, but then, frankly, just going out and doing it and getting in, getting into yeah. the market and understanding what's going out there. Yeah. Because if you yeah. sat there forever waiting for it, as we talked about before, that wave could well, move and you'll, you miss it. If you're afraid of the telephone, if you're just going to use email and social media, you will get interaction, of course. The interaction will be less because it's easy just to delete an email or ignore a social media post or a message. But I think if you use the telephone, that's more difficult, I know, but you're less likely to get a brush off. It's an immediate thing. The phone rings, people pick it up or answer it, right? And there you are. And I know that's probably made it sound a lot easier than we all know it is. But the point is, it's a more immediate and pressing and proximate thing. So people react to it. If you do that and you get away from the, have you got any requirements for me? No, I haven't. Well, I'll call back in three months. 
Again, I've oversimplified that a little bit. Yeah. But if you get away from that and just talk about them and their world, particularly if you've done a little bit of research, so you know that something's happened to them or something's about to happen or there's been some changes or something, or even their industry, you can actually have a conversation with them about something that's not about a requirement. Because right now, a lot of people don't have active requirements. Mm. Or if they do, because there are more people around, their incumbent supplier community can source those people. So they don't need to go to a new person. So if you're ringing in looking for that opportunity, it really is kissing frogs. Yeah. Ring in and add some value to them with some content or just conversation, really. Mm. I actually think you make you you begin to build a relationship. And that's what you need for when this thing starts to pick up. For yeah, sure. I, know, I know you're a big advocate and you, you and I have spoken about it a lot before about people buying off people. And I think that's still the case wherever you are in the world, whatever sector you're in, you know, if you could build those relationships in this kind of time when you're not, you're not trying to look for a sale, you're looking for information and effectively information from you as an agent or a consultant to the client or the potential client, should we say, builds that relationship, shuts you up as a percentage yeah. person that's not part of the norm that sets you apart from the rest of the rest of the herd and gives you that opportunity to build those relationships with people so that when things do start to pick up there you're on their on their go-to list or, or at least on their potential list when you start to call them for for more active roles well imagine you've got a friend who only rang you up when he wanted something yeah. seriously and we've probably all got friends that do that i yeah. don't know but <laughs> but imagine you had such a friend i mean how would you feel about that person how close would you feel towards them how much how inclined would you be to help them time and time again and yet, if you're a transactional recruiter, ringing around look, just looking for jobs, that's what you are. Yeah. You're looking to take, and your argument might be, well, look, yeah, but I'm going to give a great service. I'm sure you are. But then lots of people give a great service. If you want to stand out, then be the person who's not desperate for the role. Be the person that genuinely wants to build a relationship with someone. Because the actual saying is, people buy from those that they like, trust, and feel valued by. Well like means you have to have a conversation which is not work-related. You have to, you know, build some rapport with them. Trust means, again, comes from those kind of relationships where they begin to believe in what you say and what you do and add value, you know, feel valued by that somebody who's giving before they ask, before they take. And, and you don't get that just ringing around looking for requirements. You know, I'm sorry, but just that's not how it works. You'll get requirements from time to time, no doubt. But that's, if you want a relationship, that's not really the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, come back to what we talked about before about the idea of, of a lifestyle business versus the kind of company that's trying to set up for sale. You know, for my personal position, if you're looking at a lifestyle business, you want something that's going to be as uh, engaging to you and frankly, as as limited activity as you possibly can make it, frankly. So if you're constantly having to cold call to get your vacancies in and having to do the kind of pounding the streets type stuff to get one or two vacancies in, that isn't a lifestyle business. That's that's a turn handle. Oh yeah, big and business you'll do type that. stuff. The reeds of this world could do that to the cows come home because they've got enough yeah, you, revenue you, to do that. You'll do that forever. But if you could build relations with four or five really good companies who give you all their niche particular requirements in your area, and you could just go right, okay, I know I'm going to get between those packages. Come back to your ICP. I've got an ICP of these sort of companies. This is what I want. These are the sort of people I'm looking for. These are the sort of roles I want to get. If you could build those relationships with those individuals you're going to be able to run that lifestyle business much easier because you're just going to get stuff that drops in that fits your your wheelhouse, which you could turn around and deliver and manage properly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, you know, when when look back at my history, 
How do you grow a 40 million pound, which would be about 60 to 70 million pound in today's money? Or how do you grow a 24 million pound business? Well, you don't do it by ringing around for requirements all the time. You do it because, you know, you're not hunting opportunities, which can then turn into a relationship. You're hunting relationships that will then turn into lots of opportunities. And many of those opportunities will come to you. People will ring you up and contact you first. That's the big deal. And if, if anybody out there has ever worked in a position, in a, in, a, in a job, in a company where they've used agencies to get them people, so they've been a hiring manager, effectively, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about now. Because I, I've done that job on three separate occasions. And I, I'm telling you, the agencies you work for, they, they all think they're different. They're all the same. They only want a requirement. You know, It's all just all this building relationships, all veiled. It's like kind of a requirement. And if you haven't got one, they're just not interested. Well, they've just ruled themselves out, really. Yeah. The people that, that actually want to build a relationship with you are the ones that you're interested in. They're very rare, mm-hmm. and they are very rare. And those that do and are actually good at it are the ones that make all the money. They're not the 20,000 recruitment firms in this country that are, you know, one-man bands, effectively. No, no, absolutely. And it's interesting. I was thinking about this the other day, actually, that this is a great time now in this kind of market to to engage with companies who perhaps you wouldn't have thought even were possible before, because just what you just said, so many people have pivoted away from the sort of non-fee earning businesses that when it's, when it's going bad, people run for the, the you know, I, you and I have both known this for, through the years, I'm sure, you know, big companies, medium-sized companies, because they need income, because they need business. They just, they just suddenly take all of their people from potential fee earning businesses before that have suddenly now slowed down and they reassign them to businesses that they think are going to be more profitable. They go from, in this current climate, maybe aerospace to construction or, or government sector or whatever, and completely leave alone the aerospace sector or completely leave alone whatever sector, well, IT perhaps earlier or banking or finance, or whatever it was in previous days. And so I found a lot of the time coming on the back of that, if you're a good recruiter, you could build relationships. And there were those companies that were perhaps so far out of reach before that actually you can spend time talking to those people because they are the ones that actually everybody else has left behind. So you can build those relationships in this kind of quiet fallow time because all, the, all your competitors, all the people that would normally be chasing that person's interest, know there's no roles there. So they've gone off and done other things. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you can tell this works because, you know, you mentioned half a dozen good clients. And I think, yeah, if you can do that, but actually because, and that's how it had to be in days gone by because of the way in which you could interact with people was quite time expensive. But now we have so many tools at our disposal that to keep in touch with somebody who isn't buying is easy. Hmm. You know, they reckon you need 26 touch points a year to maintain, build and maintain a relationship with someone, right? But those touch points don't have to be a phone call or a lunch or a beer after work anymore. Those touch points can be an email. I'm not a big fan of emails, really, because I think they're construed as being work, mm-hmm. and that's not really what you want. Or they can be a social media interaction, or you can send them something of value. There's a big difference between sending an email saying, hey, how are you? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And hey, I've just found this great thing. I know you're interested in it because we talked about it last time. Have a look and see what you think about this. It's a touch point. It adds value. And it means that that person knows that you're thinking of them, even though there's no money. And, and that really, when things pick up, it's those guys that are turned to first. It's those guys who are, well, the first choice. I mean, I can't think of another way of putting it, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I found when I was, when I was back, when I look back to now, back starting again, 2008, nine, having lost the company and gone back to a desk, effectively gone back to running my own desk for a little cup, got it back employed, but effectively. The thing I sort of learned, because the markets weren't great at the time, 
is I set my target slightly differently. I would have a chat with some. I'd have your ICP, the, the, exactly what you talked about before, and I'd be building up my network in those companies. And my my, I obviously have to get roles in because that's part of your your role as a recruitment consultant. But I would also have part of my week, part of my days set aside to building relationships with companies that I potentially wanted to work with in the future, who I knew weren't recruiting now. But I flipped my target in my own mind for those calls and those those interactions. Back then, it was pretty much only calls. You couldn't really do much interaction on social media. We'll come on to LinkedIn and things like that in a minute. But from that, but then even 2008-9, it wasn't a lot of LinkedIn. So I'd have a call with somebody, and I would just try and get something out of that call that would be useful as an inter, inter, in, more intelligence on the individual or more intelligence on the company or something, a fact that I could come out of the call with, not going in there for a requirement. I'm not going, I knew there was no going to be a requirement. So it was going in there, you know, perhaps learning they like to play golf or learning they like to play, they like rugby, then what football team they supported, something like that on a ethereal basis, or perhaps where their client, where the company was kind of trying to get to, where they were at the moment in their cycle. And I think if you can, if you can go into calls with a slightly different mindset without looking for the, you're not looking for the cell being a vacancy, the cell is, or the, the success of a call is something else. Set it up as a, you know, I'm going to get just going to get a couple of bits of information out of this that drives that relationship slightly I, further forward. I think that's true. Again, we use the analogy relationship building. A relationship is a relationship is a relationship. It doesn't matter whether it's with your friends or family or or business colleagues or clients. Really, the basic building blocks of a relationship are that as human beings, we want to be made to feel special, one of a kind, and not just a name on a database, a source of cash. We want to feel appreciated what we do sometimes a simple thank you can can manage that or a gift or doesn't have to be a a gift gift just something of value appreciated understood and and that's the big one to really get where somebody's at you've got to talk to them and i think the last one is trusted so as human beings that's what we're all looking for so if you speak to someone if you treat everybody 95 percent the same as your friends you're not going to go too far adrift you know when you ring them up well how how was it the weekend how did you oh that you were going to do that run weren't you how did that go on you know, or just a bit of banter, really. I mean, I have this thing, I know it's stupid, really, but someone says, well, how are you? At the beginning of a call, you know, when you're in that little bit of a stage of small talky. I said, well, if I was any better, I'd be twins. <laughs> no, or I might say, if it's a close mate, I might say, what's it got to do with you? You know, anything, really. It's just a bit of fun, really. Yeah, yeah. Because, because the other thing is, and I'll tell you the reason why that I think the recruitment industry has gone so wrong in a minute, but that's a terrible thing to say about the business I work for, isn't it? Yeah. But it has gone a bit skew-if, actually. But personality sells. Personality stands out. Just having that, I know it, a lot of it is confidence to be able to, to talk like that. And you have to have the relationship at a certain level. I certainly wouldn't say that to a new contact. Far from it, you know. But as you get to know someone, you can be a bit more informal and a bit fun. That stands out and people like it. As long as you're not wasting their time, then, you know, and they've got time to speak to you, then then that's absolutely fine. You know, there's no reason at all why you shouldn't do that. And like we said, it's those people that you're building this relationship with layer by layer who are the ones that will come to you when they can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just moving on a little bit from that, from that in terms of the sort of relationship building and what one area that people use a lot these days for sort of introductions and market gathering, it seems to be the go-to tool is, is LinkedIn. I know from my personal publish, position, I've got a massive pet peeve of this situation at the moment where you seem to get a LinkedIn request to join. You go, okay, this person looks like somebody I'd be happy to connect with. And then almost as soon as you press the button to accept their connection request, you get a full-on sales email right in your face with no kind of ifs, ands, or buts. It's just literally blah. Yeah. And it just, yeah. it, it winds me up something. But it seems to be the LinkedIn 
way these days for a lot of companies. It's obviously based on you guys. I know from Flair, you're very keen on LinkedIn as a relationship building tool. Can you just talk a little bit how you feel you work with your clients in terms of the, getting some of the best bits? I'm not expecting you to give away the shit house, but some of the best bits about how you no, no, sure. LinkedIn, yeah. LinkedIn sort of model, because I think a lot of people use that. Oh, for sure. Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. In fact, someone I saw a survey only today that said a LinkedIn survey that had been done, quite a lot of replies, over a thousand replies, and only it was either 13 or 15%, it doesn't really matter which, said that they were okay with being pitched to first time like that. Everybody else hated it or really, really hated it. <laughs> so I wouldn't be that guy if I were you. I don't think that's a good idea. Just on that as well, and it goes back to, I'll come back to LinkedIn in a second, but I want to have a context around it. The whole point of building a relationship is that the opportunities come to you. The thing that, that, and that is endemic of what you've just said on LinkedIn is against that. It's like, give us a requirement now, give us some work. And that's driven by aggressive KPIs and harsh team leaders, team managers, because it's like, well, I know you're going to make so many calls, you're going to make some CVs, blah, blah, blah. You're actually making them transactional. You're forcing them to be transactional. And the reason that people do send those emails is they're desperate to get a requirement because they're not going to hit their end of month target. So wouldn't it be nice to build a relationship? Well, it probably would, but I'm, I haven't got time to do that. I, I don't want a piece of work in six or nine months time. I need it now. Yeah. And I understand that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not stupid. I've run businesses before where we've needed to make money in the short term. I get it. But some people do that all the time. Mm-hmm. They run their businesses like that. Harsh KPIs that encourage basically transactional behavior. And when you look at LinkedIn, yes, you can use it for that. You can advertise your services on LinkedIn. You can say, I do this. Would you buy it? You can connect with someone and immediately send them an email to say, hey, you got any requirements or words to that effect. It can allow you to be transactional if that's what you want. But what it's really good at is enabling you to identify people that exactly match your ICP. LinkedIn is built to do that, Hmm. especially if you've got one of the paid versions like Navigator or Recruiter. So you can do some very detailed searches. So it's very good at finding them. It enables you to interact. All relationships are built through interactions, right? So whether that's a you know an exchange on social media or a phone call or a visit or an SMS text, whatever it is, interactions build relationships. If you don't interact, the relationship won't build and it won't stay. Yeah. Well, social media generally is great at it, but LinkedIn is absolutely awesome, really. Mm-hmm. You can go on every single morning. What I do is I've got Navigator. So every single morning, everybody that's marked as a lead for me on Navigator, what they've posted over the last 24 hours is available for me to just skim through. And the very first thing I do is skim through it. And two things strike me. First of all, recruiters, who I target, mostly post about opportunities, right? (laughs) Oh my God, how boring is that, right? (laughs) But occasionally I put something out that isn't. And I'll go and comment on it if I can and share it sometimes. But that's, that's an interaction because then they'll quite often respond back. And if they don't respond back and you've done it three or four times, they're probably not for you. Yeah, You can probably put them to one side because they don't want anything to do with you. Because mm-hmm. if they did, then what they do, obviously, is, is respond and you get a little dialogue going. So you've got this self-selection thing going on with LinkedIn. So people self-select. I am kind of interested in you a little bit. You can also, so you can, you can find people, you can begin a relationship with, engage with them. But what a great place to add value. What a great place to post things that are going to be of some genuine use, not salesy or even that disguised salesy thing where at the end of it, oh, if you've got requirements, give me a ring. <laughs> not even that. It's just like, this is some value and it really resonates with you. And then, and then finally, I mean, I, I mean, there are lots of uses with, with LinkedIn, but I think it's a great place to research. Yeah. Brilliant. You know, you know, you and I have both got a few miles on the clock, but when I look back to my first sort of years in recruitment and your 
the research tool was periodicals and magazines from the particular industry sectors that you're working in. And given some of the sectors I was working in, like Ada engineers for the military market, their publications that they were written for their own internal people is they're the most mind-numbingly boring systems you could ever look to. But that's the only way you had research to get the information you needed to bring it forward. So now LinkedIn and social media and other things are out there. The, the, the modern recruit have got those accesses to those those research items that they can pick up and then share and put and, and populate in their markets and all that kind of stuff. So much easier than you and I had 20 years ago or so. Oh, it is, but it's we employed someone in the 90s whose job it was to do that from CVs because yeah. that's all we had. It was his job. You don't need to do that now. The, the machine can do it. But oh, by the way, I used to be able to program in Ada, just so as you know. So I, I could have been... 20 years ago, I could have got you a job at GEC I, Marconi on the South Coast like that. No have, problem and actually, actually, I used to work at GEC, oh, so I'd have been a shoe oh, well, right in there. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, that not just research of candidates, but if you want to produce great content, right? the big problem with content is that it's just noise. Mm. Too much stuff is produced that no one cares about. It doesn't pass the so what test. And so you produce them, it looks nice, it's got the right words in it, you think it should work because it should work because it's, you know, great stuff, but no one gives a, a toss really. Mm -hmm. And so therefore it's just noise. Yeah. If you want to find out what your audience is interested in, find out what they're saying online or go into the groups and find out what people like them are saying online. Mm -hmm. And that gives you a real indication of what's actually hot at the moment. So for example, I'm a member of a couple of Facebook groups mm -hmm. for recruiters. And you go on there, the people post things and questions and discussions and stuff. 10 minutes will give me a subject for a piece of content that I absolutely know will be popular, guaranteed, because of the ferocity of the answers to the questions or to the questions themselves on that particular subject and people sharing that it's a problem to them as well. So if I can answer that question, I can either do it there and then, or I can write a blog and post it knowing that it's going to get a lot of traction. Yeah. And and I think that this is all available to all of us. But the enemy, once again, is that weak, you know, month-end warrior, tyranny of the targets. Yeah. Oh, I haven't yeah. got time for that. I've got to make placements. I get it. But actually, if you could just free a bit of time up to kind of go down the content and communications route and then free a bit more time up to actually get that to people and discuss it with them, you'll have to work less. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the business just comes to you, really. And that's yeah. the deal. That's the golden, the pivot, I suppose, between doing it the old way and doing it the new way. Yeah, I mean, I, I've spoken on that on a podcast recently about targets, and I'm a big believer in the fact that, you know, the, the Ineos Sky thing is the, the analogy. I, talk, I won't talk into it too much here, but people can listen to it on one of the other podcasts. I think it's last week's Coffee Break podcast. But, you know, the idea of targets for targets' sake, just it's just, oh, I hate it. But targets worked well, can be brilliant, but targets work just for the sake of it, as you're talking about there, are horrible. I think KPI is just quickly on that yeah, one. Yeah. Are great. I mean, I'm, I'm all in favor. So long as they're used as a diagnostic tool, Mm -hmm. So that if you're not getting the output that you want, you can dig in and find it. Yeah. And as a personal development, training and development tool, Absolutely. right, you're obviously not as good as at this as you need to be. We can fix that for you. We can train you up on it and make you better. And I, and I think that as long as you use it in that way, then you're absolutely fine. If you just use it to beat people up. There was someone, someone was saying actually that in one of the growth clubs that we run, someone was saying that years and years ago, they worked for, I think it might've been Hayes. I don't want to do them a disservice, but it was someone like that. <laughs> a and large the, recruitment company. A large recruitment <laughs> company. And the person at the bottom of the leaderboard, at the end, the deal board, at the end of every month was sacked. You know, that's what basically, the, uh, yeah, that's what yeah, they said. The G, and, that's the old GE thing, isn't it? Not, although they think they did it yearly, was what's his face? The guy that ran GE for ages was yeah, the top 10%, which was re rewarded to the nth degree. The bottom 10% were fired. Yeah, well, I think whoever it was, yeah. let's pretend it's not Hayes. because That was Jack, Jack Welsh, Welsh yeah. yeah. IBM as well he worked for, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. But he, I think I think that um, that mentality is, if you measure someone on KPIs, 
say, around telephone use, right? And people know that. They'll just ring up people and do their 25-minute phone call or whatever it is, their 10-minute phone call. Whether that's any use or not, who knows, really? Who cares? But because they don't care, they just hit their KPIs. But what really matters is the end result. I don't care what, what you do. As long as it's within the you know the bounds of good taste and you're not breaking any rules, but do what you need to do to get that placement. Yeah. Whether it's one call or a hundred calls, I don't really care. But I prefer you to make the one call really yeah. because it's going to be better quality. But do it, and if you're not if you're not hitting your targets, then I'll look into the KPIs and see why that is because it'll tell me, and then we will work together to fix it. I mean, that was interesting. Again, referring back to the old podcast, but it, but I think it holds true here. So I, my first year that I hit the million pound mark in my year of recruitment. My stats for that year, if you looked at them, were awful. Would have been awful in terms of numbers of call. Because I got my business to that point where I literally, I was working in the middle of military market in the UK and defense sector in the UK. And I would get a phone call from a client on a Friday afternoon that said, I've got this guy, he's going to call you and he's going to come and start with me on Monday and he's going to go on your payroll. Because he was an ex-forces guy leaving the forces and they wanted to keep him on or he's an ex-civil servant or whatever it would be. I was making... I was doing a lot of outbound. I was doing a lot of meetings. I would literally go up there and spend a whole day or two on the sites, you know, probably there once, twice, three times a month. But in terms of call stats, I would be terrible, but I'd be making three or six placements a month. Yeah. And oh, my, yeah. So, if you, so if you look at the success factors, I'd be, I'd be hitting my numbers and stuff. If I hadn't, you know, if they were venturing me on call numbers. But that's what we were saying earlier, though. The requirements come to you if the relationships are there. Yeah, exactly. That's the big deal. We, we used to supply to Seven Trent Water. We're one of our biggest clients, we had 70 or 80 contractors there back in the days when you could make good money on high volumes, mm. which you can't anymore, really. But And we would often get a phone call when I was managing the accounts from the resource manager, say, you need to come and talk to us because we need 10 people. And we want to kind of plan that out, really. There's certain key people we'd like back if you can get them for us and then blah, blah, blah. They actually saw us as partners, which was nice. But it wasn't like ringing around looking for requirements. They came to us. And that's that's really where you're going for. That is the golden goose. But you don't get that if you're just transactional. I absolutely promise. You, you just won't. You get a good level of interaction, of course. But but if you, especially if you don't have much of a personality, I'm sure all your listeners have got great personalities, but it's personality that sells, isn't it? And, and I, I think a lot of it, you put it all together and you get a magical formula then that works over and over again. Absolutely. Well, Mike, thank you very much for that. I've had a really good chat there and, and gone through some really good ideas and thoughts and hopefully things that people can take away and, and use in their own and their own lives and their own routes to become a million pound biller. I just want to finish the interview with one question, which is becoming my sort of go-to question for this. So what's the one piece of advice you would give someone looking to head down the road to a million pound year? That's easy for me, I think. Can I just have two? Would you mind two pieces? Would that break the rules? As you're special, you can have Special. I am special, but not in the way that many (laughs) people say. But but yeah, okay. So the the first one is just to build relationships, not chase opportunities. That And and I know it takes some time to get to that. You don't just start doing that because you've got to chase the opportunities to get the money, to have the time to be able to build a relationship to get that. But as soon as you possibly can manage it, build your relationships, keep those relationships fresh, and the opportunities will come to you. And that's a very much more efficient way of doing things. It's much more fun. You make more money. And ultimately, if you're trying to grow a business for yourself, that's how you grow those big businesses. That's for sure. That's the first thing. But I think that's quite a generalist thing. I think at a much lower level, if you just want to take away to go and do it right now, is every single day, every single day without fail, interact with five people as a minimum, not about work, or at least not about opportunities. And you can send them an email, you can do something on social media, you can ring them up, whatever you want, really. But it's just to add a bit of value or see how they are or tell them about some news that you've heard that they think they'd be interested in. It's not about selling. It's not about self-promotion. It's just a relationship interaction. I mean, five would be great. 
10 will be absolutely brilliant, but let's get real. Yeah. So just do five. And I, I tell you now, it doesn't work for everyone because some people don't want a relationship with you. But the ones that begin to realize you're a little different will be the ones that react back. And if you're doing five a day, 25 a week, you know, you can see how that goes. You will get some work from that sooner or later. Absolutely. No, they're brilliant ideas. Thank you very much for that, Mike. And thank you again for your time today. It's been really, really useful. And I'm hoping that uh, people will get something out of that. If people have any questions or comments, they can find you on, on LinkedIn, I believe. Yes. And well, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate that. And yes, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, of course you can. Just put Mike Ames in and, and I come out. So Yeah. yeah, and, uh, and we'll look forward to, if anybody has any other questions or anything come through, they can look for me on Facebook and Instagram to uh, The Million Pound Villa. But uh, hopefully if uh, you've got any other questions, maybe we'll get Mike on in a few weeks' time and have another chat and he can do a few more questions of yours. But uh, thank you very much for your time today, Mike. It's brilliant to speak to you. You're very welcome. So I hope you got something out of that. And thank you very much for listening to The Million Pound Villa podcast. We've got some really good interviews already lined up for the future and we've got our weekly coffee break podcast so please hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and that will make sure that you get our most up-to-date podcasts as they come through so look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Mm-hmm.